Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, the Spontaneity Shop presents an emergency episode of The Guilty Feminist with Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Femi Alawale, and very special guests Oliver Feely Sprague and Matilda Mallinson, featuring Juliet Stevenson and Grace Petrie. And we're talking about being noisy and annoying. Hello, welcome, welcome, welcome to The Guilty Feminist live stream, which is apparently live. You're here, I'm here, we are all here. Now, this is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. But this is an emergency episode. We've done very few emergency episodes in the last five years. Uh, but we felt it was really important that we have one. And thank you so much for joining us on the live stream. This is particularly about the policing bill and the wording in the policing bill. I mean, it's all awful, the policing bill, basically. The whole policing bill, we would love to kill the bill. But given there's a Tory majority, and that is unlikely, uh, we would like to focus on the one section of the bill that we think is the most pernicious. A section of the bill that says, if we are noisy and annoying while protesting, I mean, being noisy and annoying is sort of the definition of a protest, isn't it? Let's be honest. That's what it is. You go out, you leave the house with a big sign to be noisy and annoying, to try and get the attention of those people who have more power than you do, to try and tell them you don't like this. And the wording in this bill 
is absolutely critical. So we want to demand an amendment. So here tonight, we are launching this campaign. Now, I was first alerted to this particularly pernicious wording uh, when I was having a conversation with Ollie Phillips-Brake at Amnesty International, who will be joining us later tonight to really dissect uh, this part of the bill into sort of the kind of uh, gritty, deep understanding that only someone who's worked at Amnesty this long can possibly have. Uh, but I will admit to you that when I first wanted to do this campaign, I'm a feminist, but the first thing I did was ring a man. I saw a video by an, a brilliant activist and a communicator and campaigner who just could explain things more clearly and succinctly and economically than I'd ever heard anybody do before. So he is my co-host for this evening. Uh, he is a British political activist and co-founder of the pro-European advocacy group Our Future, Our Choice. He writes for The Independent, The Guardian and The Metro. Please welcome Femi Olawale. Hello, Femi. Hey. Hi. <laughs> hey, how you doing? <laughs> I'm very well. I didn't know you, Femi, did I? Uh, no, uh, we came. We came. Well, you, you came across my video on the policing bill about a month or so ago, which basically because I was really angry about what's about to happen, and so you reached out. You reached out. On, I think on on Instagram first, and then we got the DM. Then, then talking, and then I met a whole bunch of um, of your colleagues and friends, um, Tilda, for example, Juliet. And we're now working on this campaign together. I, I, I realised there I sounded like a magician. Now, I didn't know you before. We've not talked before. Have You've never met me before. You've never seen what's up my sleeves. Um, but genuinely, <laughs> it's very unusual for me just to go, just DM, I'm just sliding into this guy's DMs. I just, I just watched the video and immediately went, because <laughs> I've been talking to Juliet Stevenson about it. Juliet and I are both Amnesty International ambassadors. And we were talking about it and saying, we really need to do a campaign about this. And we, you know, we love working together, Juliet and I. And then I started, you know, looking at the internet of what people were saying, saw your video and went, Juliet, sent the video and we need this guy. And uh, so I just thought, I'll slide into his DMs. And, you know, I felt quite vulnerable, Femi, after I'd sent that message. I was like, what if he rejects me? What if he, what if he just, what if he just goes, no, no. Well, you, you're lucky. Very few women slide into my DMs. So, you know, I was, I was open to <laughs> I'm it. I'm sure that's not true. <laughs> Um, but I'd slid in with only uh, only political intentions, so I'm sure that helped. So, um, Femi, thank you so much for joining us. I really do think you are an excellent and uh, really creative campaigner, and I am very excited to work with you on this. Before we talk any further, would you like to... Give us a short presentation and give the Guilty Feminist audience an idea of the kind of communicator you are. Is there any chance that in under three minutes you could unpack what this noisy and annoying campaign is about and for? Okay. So what is fascism? We hear that word a lot. Let's Google it. It says fascism is a form of far right authoritarian ultranationalism characterized by dictatorial power and the forcible suppression of opposition. All right. So far right. Well, I'll let you decide whether or not Boris, we should still own Africa. Johnson is far right. Dictatorial. Well, the guy literally shut down parliament when it was trying to stop him from doing a no deal Brexit. Ultranationalism. Well, half the flags in Downing Street are kind of stuck together. Um, and then there's a forcible suppression of opposition. That's the bit we want to talk about today. So what are they doing with this bill? Um, we have a government that already has absolute power. They've got a majority of ATMPs, yet they still feel the need to crush opposition. 
Now, this policing bill, what it does is it says that the police can impose restrictions on protests, including that it can't be noisy enough that it makes people in the environment feel serious unease. I feel like we've forgotten the goddamn point of a protest. On top of that, it says that if you are a public nuisance, if you cause people to feel or even be at risk of feeling serious annoyance, then you can be sent to jail for up to 10 years. Now, the problem with this wording is serious unease and uh, serious annoyance, that's entirely subjective. A police officer can say, well, it could make this person feel seriously uneasy or seriously annoyed, therefore jail for you? Not exactly the rule of law. And the problem with that subjectivity is mean that you won't know for sure that if you partake in a protest, you won't go to jail. That effectively criminalizes all protest. Now, this government has tried to justify this on the basis that, well, and this is on their website, they said that a minority of people assaulted police officers at the last Black Lives Matter protest last year, and therefore that's the rationale, that's the justification for this bill. That makes total sense. I mean, I'm me, for example, I was yesterday going about my business, you know, just like setting fire to police stations, punching cops in the face, you know, legal stuff. And I was thinking, it's a good job there isn't a bill that basically makes it illegal to be too noisy, because otherwise I might get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. They already have the powers to do this, yet they're seeking more. Maybe it's just that we have the same government that was happy to tackle a woman to the ground while she was mourning the death of Sarah Everard is simply looking for any excuse to silence political opposition, because that's what they do. That's why this campaign that we're working on, to highlight the ways in which people in the past have been noisy and annoying to give us the rights we have today, and the why people in the future need to be able to be noisy and annoying to um, get more rights tomorrow. And what our plan is, we want to make the politicians feel seriously uneasy about undermining that. Thank you. Femi, that was fantastic. Okay, it's a great point that you make that all of these things are already illegal, you know, because they keep conflating it, saying, well, some people, you know, set fire to things. Or something. I, you know, I'm pretty sure if I set fire to a policeman, then I'm doing something illegal. I know that. And and not to get into gray area. gray area, not to get into a discussion <laughs> about, you know, listen, the suffragettes blew stuff up. So I'm not saying uh, violence against the state is never necessary. I'm saying that's a completely different issue to this. This is saying if I'm noisy and annoying, and we all know what that could be, you go down to a protest, the police tell you you have to be quiet and you're being annoying and you're elated and you're carried away with the you know, the, 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 the concept of a protest. And am I going to want to back down? Am I going to, if I'm there with a bunch of people from the Guilty Feminist and I go, guys, we've got to go, sh- sh- we've got to go home. I feel like a poor activist. And so I can absolutely imagine pushing back on that. And then what, ending up in handcuffs and going to jail? I mean, that's a police state, absolutely. But or if I think, well, I definitely can't go to jail, you know, there'll be people there who are doctors and nurses who could get struck off for having a criminal record. Teachers can't have a criminal record. I wouldn't be allowed to go to America to do a show if I have a criminal record. So there's all sorts of reasons why people don't have criminal records. So even if you thought, right, I'm going to get out of this now, I'm going to leave because I can see this way this is going. I've tried to get out of a march, not a protest, just a march with people going, you know, um, women are brilliant. Nothing at all was escalating. 
But to get out of it sometimes is very physically difficult because I had to go and do another thing. And to try and just edge out when it's very crowded, never mind people being in a state because they're being pushed back, can be very, very difficult. And so I could be arrested because I get caught up in the wrong part of it that's escalated. And I'm one of the ones that's seen as noisy and annoying. And to be honest, I probably would be seen like that because I constantly advertise, we're all going down to the protest, we'll meet you on the corner of noisy and annoying. You know, that's what I do. So I may well be seen as one of the instigators and 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 whipping it up. Doesn't it sound to you like this is going to be a police state where we, we don't have the right to go and protest for the things that we need to be able to say we are we are uneasy about? Exactly. And what you said about how somebody might be um, emotionally emotionally react to the police officers and get caught up in it, that's, ex- that's exactly the point. Often when people protest, it's because they feel a sense of the state has too much power, the state is dictating things in the wrong direction. So having the state then say, no, silence, only gives you more justification to feel, oh, this is a serious problem, and therefore want to speak out even louder. And your response may be to shout louder, which will only make make them say, well, now he's definitely broken this restriction, and to jail you go. We have a government that is extremely hostile towards opposition, and this is simply the next step. And once we lose this particular right, it makes it so much harder to defend all the other rights that that are under threat in the future. That's why it's it's important to celebrate the ways in which being annoyed and annoying in the past has helped us gain rights today. But we, we we have not completed equality yet. We have not completed all the things that we need to be able to protest about yet. So this bill would halt progress in its tracks. And also they'll take more rights. This is taking a right. This is it's confusing law and order with taking with taking a, a human right in a way that we have to go down to Parliament Square and protest. Because this bill also says we won't be able to protest in front of the House of Commons anymore. So where are we going to be protesting? Somewhere where the MPs who represent us can't see us. And that's a real problem because when Amica George came on the podcast, she wanted to protest against period poverty and girls missing school because there weren't sanitary napkins and things. So she wanted to change that. So she said, I'm going to do this protest out the front of the House of Commons. And we put it out on the podcast. We all went down. We spoke. And because of that, MPs in the House of Commons heard, oh, there's teenage girls and women in their early 20s out there. We'll go out and have a look at that. We'll, you know, we'll go and find out what they want. And guess what? Schools now have to have sanitary products because Amica George changed that law. Now, if we'd been protesting in Croydon, what would we have got? You know, like you have, we have to be allowed to Mm. protest where our representatives who we pay, who we elect are going to work. Um, But I think this is, it's, they they said, oh, well, some of the MPs felt like um, abused or harassed during Brexit. Well, but again, that's already, it's already illegal to harass people and abuse people. We don't need to stop you know, teenagers going to ask for sanitary napkins because some people have escalated protest into abuse. Uh, that's not necessary. Yeah. The bill talks about blocking the entrance to Parliament. So that would mean that if your protest made it impossible to drive into Parliament, that could potentially fall under un, under this bill. And as you said, you're entirely right about the fact that harassment of MPs is already a crime. In fact, during Brexit, I was, I was when there was the issue around Anna Subri being harassed by those thugs outside Parliament, I was the person who stood right next to her filming that. And the person who was leading that harassment and then got sent to court. So that is already a crime that is already prosecuted. They're seeking powers to crush regular protest based on the accused to criminalise things that are already criminalised. And it will always, of course, be used against 
black people, brown people, queer people, it will be used against marginalised, already marginalised people more than it will be used against more typical conservative voters who might come out and march something for the Countryside Alliance, I'm pretty sure. I can't well, well, I mean, have, that's, have it that's, a lifetime. The, that's the police in general. Exactly. That's the police in general. I mean, we already know that black people are stopped and searched by police 10 times more than white people. We know that they're not going to use this to crack down on people making too much noise in uh, Brumsgrove or anywhere like that. It's going to be in urban areas. And so it's going to be disproportionate. And it's and given that we know that the bias of the ruling government is specifically against um, those of the opposition. For example, uh, we had to, the former Secretary of State Tobias Elwood, who said during the last election that the reason they weren't going to let 16-year-olds vote was because they'd vote Labour. So we have a government that will specifically suppress the voices of, of opposition rather than the voices that are on their side. Mm-hmm. Well, we've put it out on the table. Let's get someone who knows the nitty gritty in to tell us what this bill really means for us on our right to protest. Please welcome the Military Security and Police Programme Director at Amnesty International UK. He has 25 years experience working on the global arms trade and UK policing. Please welcome Oliver Feely Sprague. Woo! Thank you. Um, And people who are watching... If you've got any questions for Ollie, can you put them in the chat and Tom will give them to me? Um, so, Ollie, th- yeah, we've sort of given a broad strokes feeling about, you know, what's in the bill and why we're going after this one. Like, we're only a small campaign. Like, we hope other people are working on other parts of the bill. But the reason that we're working on this one is we feel if other parts of the bill do go into law, we can at least protect our right to protest things that go into law that we don't want to try and get them turned back. If we lose that, we really are screwed. Where do you think this is coming from? Because I was talking to someone who works inside uh, policing and they said the police don't want this because they already feel their reputation is bad enough. They've already overworked. They definitely don't want to be cracking down. In fact, uh, Matilda Mallison, who's coming in later, interviewed for another episode of The Guilty Feminist, a former chief inspector who said the best way to start a riot is to stop a protest. Is this so that the Home Office can put pressure on the police to stop protests, to turn them into riots, because that's like pouring petrol on them, and make the tradition of protest in this country, which is great, unpopular with people, because they, they think every protest is a riot? I think I'm going to start by saying, you know, why, why have you brought me on the programme? Because you and Femi have explained and encapsulated the problem in a way that, you know, you, you, you said everything really that, that needs to be... T- needs to be said on this and i, I you know you've, you've encapsulated oh, no, got, the issue we've got so many more questions for you don't worry we uh, will be grilling I, you there's things i don't know so this okay. is more you know our starter for 10 we're going to get a lot okay. deeper and a lot more a lot more technical and complex Ollie. so my starter for 10 is as you said i have been working on this area 25 years specifically on policing probably 15 years uh human rights in general 25 years and in all my time the police have never had been given less power. They've been given more power. So year on year on year on, uh, the police have more power. They, they have already the power to police protest. They arrest people already. They charge people. They, 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 they imprison people. If, if people, as you say, 
sort of engage in serious antisocial behaviour, criminal damage, etc., etc. They have the power of arrest. I'm I, I'm minded of the fact. Uh, just a couple of days ago, here in my, I, I live in a small town in Northamptonshire called Wellingborough. There's a prison being built, and there was a, a protest of a small number of of activists who who basically kind of locked themselves together outside the the prison. You know, only five or six people. Yes, it was annoying for people. It depends which news source you read. Always, always look at these things in, in, in the round because on one level you were told, it, you know, they had to close the entire site down. It was a really difficult, it was terribly annoying and the police, you know, the police had to come and they wasted all their time. You read another comment, they said, well, they just opened the side gate. So it was a bit annoying, but the, the work continued. Now, the point is, is that after a day or so, all five activists were arrested and charged with aggravated trespass. So they're already in the criminal justice system for, for, for wow. protesting and, 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 and being annoying. Section four of this bill is about increasing the powers on trespass when you've just arrested five peaceful protesters for trespass. So these things are not needed. And more importantly, uh, under kind of international human rights law, but even even UK law. I mean, I was reading just before the programme. Uh, and if you really want to delve into the weeds, you can go back to, say, the Magna Carta. And there's some argument to say that the Magna Carta in the 12th century started the tradition of freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, people's liberties, right? So these things have a, a huge historic tradition in the UK. But also you have the, like the international treaties. You've got the Article 11 and Article 10 of the ECHR, the, the European Convention on Human Rights. You've got the, the, the international UN, the UN body. So you've got the UN Charter itself. You've got the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. You've got the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. All these concepts are embedded in international law that all states must facilitate peaceful protest. And the only time that they can infringe peaceful protests is if it's basically that the, the overriding principles are proportionality and necessity. So are they proportionate and are they necessary? And I'm going to say for this bill, the answer is a big fat no. They're neither proportional nor are they necessary. My 25 years of experience tells me the police have enormous wide ranging powers to sort this out. Okay, so the police already have enough powers. Things that are criminal are already criminal. Some people choose to break laws specifically to make a point and to to be arrested. Those things are, you know, another broader conversation. But I don't understand how it can be criminal to be noisy and annoying because it's so subjective who's noisy and annoying. And if you're going down to an embassy because the dictator in that country is committing a genocide, you're trying to make them feel uneasy. And it says that, well, if you're making those people feel uneasy you can be arrested and sent to jail. Like, can I really get sent to jail? If this goes through unamended in September, can I really go to jail because someone in an embassy rings up and goes, she made me feel uneasy with her sign and her shouting. Is that really going to be, is it going to happen? Does it, will it be able to happen? Theoretically, that would be possible. Now, but I think, I think the point here is that it's mad. Different, different communities get policed very differently. And I think it's a point that, that both you and Femi touched on before you came to me. And if you turn up outside House of Parliament with a big trombone and you start blowing it and making a huge amount of noise, the police are probably going to allow you to do that. They're probably going to be incredibly reasonable, uh, although in theory uh, they do have the power to stop you or prevent you or direct you in any way that they deem necessary under the clauses, clauses of this bill. But if you are already from a marginalised or a 
uh, or, or an over-policed community. Let, let's say, for example, uh, you're a, from a black community. Will Femi be treated differently? That's, always, will, that, 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 that's always the risk. I mean, if you're a, an, an elderly black person that's been tasered under pretty extreme circumstances that should never have happened, and you decide that you want to march down to town hall to protest about that, are you going to be treated differently from you, Deborah Francis Wright, and your trombone outside Parliament? I would say... From my experience, the answer to that is yes. So different communities are going to feel these powers differently because they're arbitrary. And the police themselves are going to find themselves in, in difficulty because, as, you, as you've seen in, in, in the COVID laws, where terms are not clear and they're not defined and they're open to interpretation, mistakes are made. And even the police have said that they found it incredibly difficult to police the COVID laws. So when you're using arbitrary terms like noise, annoyance, unease... Police are going to make different calls in different situations, and it's going to put an enormous pressure on those on those officers to make the right call. So I think I, I I know you said that from your policing circles you've heard some unease about these powers. I mean, from the policing circles that that, that I deal with in around kind of use of force and public order management, I think the same thing would be said. They would be uneasy about the arbitrary nature of these powers. Ironically, that would be the government making the police feel uneasy. Maybe they should arrest themselves. Um, uh, My question would be, I mean, this has to obviously go through Parliament. um, And it's funny enough that a member of the DUP, who would not expect to be anywhere near the liberal spectrum of of politics, his name was Gavin, 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 Gavin Robinson. Yeah. So the DUP said that this bill, the part about noising annoying, would make a dictator blush. So there are some voices in Parliament that could be amenable to this. So my question is, how long do we have to stop it? I know that it's gone through second reading in the House of Commons. Uh, it's now at the committee stage. It's got to deal with the House of Lords. How long do we have to stop this going through? Okay. So obviously, we're never entirely sure with, with, with political process, but we're probably looking at maybe towards the end of this year before it gets royal assent. I'll, give, I'll, I'll do a quick two minutes. This is what's going to happen, okay, as, as, as best we know it. So it's got to go through both the Commons and the House of Lords uh, for, for reasons that, that the House of Lords actually surprisingly are, are, are an incredibly useful parliamentary chamber for rights-based issues, human rights-based issues. You know, over the years, they always make the right call. So I think maybe some of our best chances to fix this bill will come through amendments that the Lords will, will table. But it's got to get through the Commons first. So uh, I think as of today, they're on they're on a break, so that they're on recess. And then they're going to come back in a couple of weeks' time and there's going to be a Queen's speech. Now, some people might want to know why this bill, because it's in this Parliament, is still going through into the next Parliament. That's because they did something called a carryover motion. So it's, it, it's allowed to continue through the next parliamentary session. So it will then go to something called the committee stage in the House of Commons let's say from the end of may right give or take right and and there's a there's a much smaller subset of mp's that get appointed or, or to sit on the the bill committee and they scrutinize that line by line so that process takes you know 3 or 4 weeks this is an enormous bill of enormous complexity that runs to several hundred pages so it's going to take a while so John, do we know well, who those mp's are not yet no but we we, we will do in a couple of weeks uh, and obviously, amnesty, and you know, it's it's not just amnesty. There, I mean, 
we joined forces with 700 legal academics and 250 other NGOs, everyone from the, the Ramblers Association to Irish Gypsy Travellers to, to organisations re- representing grassroots ethnic minorities and, and, and black groups. You know, it's an incredibly broad alliance of civil liberty and human rights and kind of just ordinary people, left, right, centre, everyone that sees the fundamental right to be able to stand and say what you think has a problem with this bill. So we will be targeting that committee stage and that's where they'll be going line by line. And and I can job one is essentially to delete the sections of this bill that are most problematic. So for the purposes of your show and your your campaign, we're essentially talking about section three and section four. Uh, But section three is where the main protesting, the noise and the annoyance sections come. Section four is about the trespass laws, which will impede protests because things like climate camps, sit-ins, occupations, the tactics that we use will be further criminalised under that section. So during the committee stage, the plan is to basically get those MPs to delete those sections. Okay. After that, it goes back to the Commons and they have a kind of general debate on it. So there's another opportunity there and another debate. That's called the third reading. After that, it will go to the House of Lords and the whole process will, will start again. And as I said before, for all sorts of long traditional and historical reasons, it's the House of Lords that are most likely to amend this in in, in a favourable way that that we want to see. It's a strange old country, isn't it, that you have to go to Lords to get better... You know, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know most of the lords out there. They're like they're, you know, they're life peers and stuff. That that they, they've, you know, done something in our community. But it is quite random that we are now hoping to know. Like, if we know a nice lord, if anyone out there knows a nice lord, should we be campaigning at those lords now, Ollie? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the uh, and. In terms of timing, my best guess. I could be wrong, but my best guess says that. This won't be going to the House of Lords until end of June at the earliest. So the Lords will basically do the same process that the Commons have done. So then they'll go on summer holiday. So there'll be a summer break. So it's that's why we've got the time here to build up a momentum. So after In that time, the... Boris Johnson will redecorate his house again. And then when we come back from that, after they've had a lovely holiday and Boris has gone to the south of France and stuff, they can then come back and then what happens? So then basically there's a, there's a fight between the two houses. I mean, they're, they're, we, we, we call things weird names. So they, they, they call it ping pong. They don't actually play table tennis. Maybe they should do, but they don't. But it's a process called ping pong where the Lords of the Commons are going to argue it out. And I think here is a, here's a lesson of optimism uh, in the two bills that have just gone through this process. That, and the one thing I would say is that this, and I think Femi touched on this earlier, is that this is a this is not a rights protecting government. It's a rights stripping government. Uh, mm. And there's a number of bills and a number of kind of things happening that are chipping away at the fabric of rights. And there were there were two bills where these issues were were, were central. And one was on uh, ex- exempting. It's called the Overseas Operations Bill, and it was essentially about exempting British soldiers from prosecution for serious crimes abroad. And there was another bill on domestic abuse and uh, especially the, the vulnerable sector of kind of migrant women and things and, and, and then being reported to Home Office and things for... Anyway, so the Lords put amendments in to basically fix those deficiencies and the Commons saw sense and saw reason and they, they announced that, you know, OK, we see the strength of feeling from this House and we understand and, you know... It was a mistake on our part, and we didn't mean it anyway, so we're going to fix the bill and accept those amendments. So 
you know, I think that's our best chance with this bill is that they see reason. How much will it affect the... Because uh, I think this this government is quite easily embarrassed. Like, when they took away school dinners and Marcus Rashford went, are you Mr Bumble from Oliver? Why are you taking literally food out of children's mouths? They went, oh, no, Marcus Rashford, amazing footballer. We didn't mean to do that. That was an error. And then they did it again. And he went, you've done it again. They went, have we? No. Oh, we didn't mean it, Marcus Rashford. But same with the algorithm for the students in the, you know, in last year during lockdown. They did utilize. They're easily embarrassed. And I think, can we collectively with this campaign embarrass them by going, do you want us to live in a police state where we can't just go down to the House of Commons and go, what do we want? When do we want it? Like that seems, can we embarrass them into it? And, 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 And I think the ingredients here work for that type of approach, because I think one of the reasons why the embarrassment factor worked with Marcus Rashford were there were there were people in in the Tory party that were deeply uneasy as well. And mm. there are there are a number of leading conservatives, you know, to the right of the party, the the, the libertarian streak of the Tories, that that where individual liberties and freedoms are are important. I mean, the Femi's counter opponents in in the Brexit debate have also come out against this as well, uh, saying that you know this is an outrageous threat on our ability to say what we think. A, a, a completely opposite view to Femi on the on the Brexit issue, but the right to be able to stand there and demonstrate and talk about it. So. I think those ingredients make this a winnable campaign if we keep at it. And if we keep that amazingly broad coalition of ramblers and climate change protesters and human rights nerds all working together, you know, including the, the unusual suspects as well. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I was genuinely thinking about adding Lawrence Fox and basically saying, hey, you complained about masks calling them a muzzle. Or what? Have you seen this bill? Mm. Um, and I also was going to ask, on, on a specific note, it, it is 54 to 59, is that right, of the, of the bill? Those are the yeah, but but, 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 but again, that, again, that can change because they can fiddle around with the order and the wording. So, uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, at the moment, that's essentially where it is in the bill. But also remember that bills and legislation are not easy reads. So mm. <laughs> it's, I wouldn't suggest you read it at, at bedtime because it, they're not linear processes. So, you know, you read an article and a clause mm-hmm. and then you have to read another clause 100 pages later that will refer back to it. So, yeah. so you read the bill by dotting around, and there's schedules at the end which provide more more specific instruction around certain areas. So you have to look at it at, at a whole. But yes, at the moment, the clauses in the bill are where you say they are. So for our campaign, what's our most effective strategy here? So what we're doing so far, just to let you know, Ollie, and uh, again, sounding like a magician, but we haven't talked about this before. What we're doing is a series of videos with um, both people who have influence, with lots of people, and also regular people who've used their right to be hum- to and their you know their value set of being noisy and annoying to bring about change, and to try and get it trending, to try and get lots of people adding their MP and hashtagging noisy and annoying. We also thought in summer when we're allowed to legally and when it's safe to organise a noisy and annoying protest. Uh, where we, I mean, it's it seems strange not to have a protest given this is about protesting. What else can we do to get the government's attention to get, whose attention do we need to be getting? MPs, Lords? Is Boris Johnson going to care that we're saying this? Is Priti Patel going to care? Do we need to be targeting specific MPs? Are there specific MPs you think are going to be more sympathetic, ideally conservative ones who actually have a vote in this? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to pinpoint those figures exactly now, but I think your best tactic here is is kind of persistence. I would say that being Amnesty, we are the most persistent organisation in the world. You know, I think we we often win victories because we just don't shut up and people just say, mm-hmm. do you know what, Amnesty? Yes, if you'll be, be quiet now, we'll do it. Uh, so we, we have a long tradition of keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. But I think highlighting the absurdity, this is an absurd What's being suggested in this bill is absurd on so many levels. It's always wrong, but it's absurd. So that absurdity. Mm. So anything you can do that's creatively about making noise in, in, in the most creative ways. And then I think appealing to the, to the libertarian and the traditional values of standing up for freedoms is, is, is really important. You know, does, does this government really want to be the government that's just gone through two years of the most draconian, for very good reasons, uh, the most draconian public health legislation that's that's infringed on all of our movements and our freedoms, again, for very good reasons, but, but you're permanent, you're, you're making it permanent. You're using this moment in time when everyone in the country is feeling a little bit uneasy, I'm, I'm sure that the most... And restricted. And you're basically making that permanent. Do you really want to be that government that, that's doing that? And I think... Those two things coming together are a winning formula. Okay. Um, Tom, um, I'm just going to go to you now. Can we just have a couple of questions for Ollie? Yes, of course. Ollie, do you know, this is from Fran, is there any historical or international precedent for a bill like this being implemented in a democracy? And if so, what was the outcome? I am sure that there are precedents for this in, in in other in other jurisdictions. I mean, obviously, in a lot of authoritarian regimes, but yeah, especially I would say at times of public health or other types of emergency, I would say that's most likely when it would have happened. And then we have another question here uh, from Iona. Do you think the wording of the bill is purposefully vague and could have been made clearer? Well. It is very vague, and you have to answer to, to, to why. And I think what's quite striking in it is it uses this phrase, reasonable defence, all the way through it, or reasonable excuse. It says, without reasonable excuse. Now, in most other bills and laws that I've worked on, including the COVID laws, those reasonable excuses and reasonable defences are defined. So it tells you the types of things that would count as a, as a reason for, for not doing so. It doesn't here, and you have to ask yourself your question: Why is that? And it, it it's either sloppy or it's deliberate, and I don't know which way which way to call it. Mm. I rather wonder, Ollie, if they're doing it in order to turn protests into riots. They know this as petrol, and they know then then protests will be seen as synonymous in the public's minds with riots because the public often lose sympathy when they see things set on fire and they go, oh, well, the poor police have had to deal with that. So I rather wonder if this is sort of agitating protesters in order to make protesting become unpopular. I mean, you may not be allowed to comment on that. Uh, It's a very valid point, is what I'll say. (laughs) Thank you. What a diplomatic answer from uh, an Amnesty employee. Uh, Tom Selinsky, any more questions? So here's another one which might require a diplomatic answer. Do you think it's a coincidence that this bill is being propounded now immediately after the protests around climate change and BLM? I think that's exactly why it's being introduced now. I think that some of the restrictions in it are a direct response to some of the Extinction Rebellion uh, activities in London. I think uh, we didn't even get onto it, but the single person protest, the, the bit that's about a single person being noisy and annoying, uh, I think that has a direct 
direct relevance to some of the activities that went on in Parliament around around, around Brexit. So, so yeah. Steve Bright. Mm. Yeah. Well, the, someone told me the other day they think it goes back to junior doctors coming out. And do you remember when the junior doctors came out and said, we can't work these hours anymore and this is too much? And a friend of mine who's a doctor said, the trouble is if I get arrested and I do get prosecuted, I get struck off immediately. You can't have a criminal record and be a doctor. So it means doctors and nurses can't protest safely, protest their own conditions. That's horrifying. Right. At the same time as they're giving nurses an effective pay cut, which is. Yeah. yeah. After they oh, we all. Well, maybe they can eat applause. Um, Tom. One last question for Femi. Uh, when are you going to run for Prime Minister <laughs> or, or at least MP? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, you have to be an MP before you can yeah. yeah, Traditionally. G- 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 give, me, give me five to ten years. Come on. You, you have at least Femi three for, votes from the, uh, the people watching this live stream. Appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, that's, that's, you're, you're up there with Count uh, Binface if you've got three votes. <laughs> Maybe I need a cape as well. I've really, I'm really tempted to get Count Binface on, just basically because his his top policy is rename London Bridge as Phoebe Waller. You, you can't you can't argue with that kind Running of running as a joke candidate is a form of protest. Well, I mean, it, it yeah. just shows. Yeah. How, I mean, my favourite was when uh, was it Nigel Farage lost to somebody dressed as a dolphin. That was beautiful. I mean, it's it's the best of British, and the thing is, the thing is, sometimes <laughs> Britain is just wonderful in its. You know, in our self-deprecating sense of humour, and uh, dis- we're great at disappointment. That's what we've bathos. Um, anything that's just a little bit sad, uh, we're very good at it. Uh, so, um, is there anything else that was pressing in the questions, Tom? Before you, those go? are all the ones that jumped out at me. Apologies to anyone if their wonderful question has been overlooked. I'm slightly multitasking here. Okay, but thank you very much, Tom Solinsky. Well done, Tom Solinsky. Um, so, Ollie, is there anything you came to say that you'd like to say or anything you think we need to know about our campaign? Like, can we do more than just, you know, campaign these MPs? Should we be doing a petition? Should we be trying to have meetings with MPs? Should we be trying to get MPs to be part of our campaign and to ha- contribute to our videos and say that they don't want this? What is it that we can do to deliver this and get this over the line for sure? You can do definitely do all of those things, and all of those things would be enormously helpful. I mean, obviously, there are lots of campaigning groups. Amnesty is campaigning on this. We're in it for the duration. So there's a there's an action on our website that will change as the bill progresses and changes, and you can get as involved with that as you want to. Uh, you know, our local groups will be going and visiting their MPs on it and those sorts of things. Uh, I think the one thing I do want to say uh, and reinforce here is that this is part of a concerted stripping away of things that are important. So this policing and crime bill should not be seen in isolation to the threats to the Human Rights Act, the attempts to restrict the use of judicial review process, uh, the Overseas Operations Bill, although we had an important victory on that, the Covert Human Intelligence Bill. There's a, this is coming on a number of fronts, so we have to be on our game, basically. Mm. The, yeah, amnesty is becoming an emergency service, frankly. Ollie, you've been so interesting and helpful and we hope we can work with Amnesty on the Noisy Annoying campaign and come back to you for help and advice on all the things that we're going to need to do between now and September. When's our actual deadline cut off that it's really this campaign's not going to be any more good? Uh, I, it, probably towards the end of the year. So let's say November, no, November, December time. Uh, 
But then obviously, you know, I would say this amnesty long term, you can change laws once they're in place, but also the courts. This bill puts enormous pressure on the courts to make almost impossible decisions when it comes to charging and prosecutions. And you can do a lot with kind of case law judgments and the courts may well be on our side here pointing out these absurdities. Ollie Phillies break. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to Embassy International and Ollie. Woo! Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Uh, Now, there's been a very long history. In fact, I would say a proud tradition, Femi, of British protest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People often say, uh, think of British people, I think, as sort of very quiet and demure and sitting there with a cup of tea. But being noisy and annoying have got us every right, pretty much, that we have. And uh, Matilda Mallinson has created a video showing that history of protest. Let's go to that VT now. To see the video yourself, check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash guilty feminist, or follow the link in the show notes. And now here's the person who created and compiled that video for us, a human rights journalist and filmmaker who is also the founder of the Refugee Media Centre. Please welcome Matilda Mallinson. Hey, thanks, Sammy, for the applause. It does make me feel (laughs) in the mood. Uh Um, So, Matilda, tell us what you've been researching as you've been making these films for us. Well, I've been having a lot of fun. I've been running around harvesting people's memories of protests from all around the UK, All across the political spectrum, there were definitely vote leave banners in that video, I promise. And, you know, through the generations. And this 
video is a little montage celebrating British protests. I think just to remind us what we all owe to people who take to the streets at their own risk. Because quite a few people who I spoke to said to me, oh, this isn't really my issue, you know, protesting, it's, it's for activists. But it's not just activists who benefit from the results of protest. And I hope this video reminds us of that. But I haven't just been collecting memories. I've actually been actively looking for people's grievances about protests. So posting on very heated trolling forums, just because I, uh, you know, I want to understand the rationale behind this legislation or the apparent rationale, you know, what people think this bill is going to give them if they support that so that we can question, does this bill actually deliver on people's legitimate fears. And I've learned a lot and it has made me think more critically about protest and whether there are risks that we do need to talk about. But as I think has been quite clearly outlined by Femi and Oli before, whether this bill actually addresses those issues is a dubious thing. So naturally the left um, will oppose most stuff that this government does. What have you heard from people who are would naturally be aligned with this government, people on the right? How do they feel about this bill? So a few things keep popping up. One of them is COVID, which I think indicates quite a widespread misunderstanding that this bill is responding to the public health risks of protesting, which it isn't. But the other thing that really comes up a lot is violence you know, opportunistic violence, rioting, looting. This is a big issue for a lot of people. And it's a persistent issue throughout the history of protests, you know, left and right, people piggybacking on protests without necessarily having much interest in the cause itself. And it's something I, I want to concentrate on here because I think anyone opposing this bill, you know, if we are doing that, we need to not shy away from acknowledging that there is an issue there because we fall into a bit of a trap there where the conversation is derailed away from, you know, social progress, rights and liberties, which Femi pointed out and becomes a conversation that is far more polarizing. But that isn't the debate we're having because people who support protests and oppose this bill express the exact same grievances. You know, even the most ardent protesters, they don't like the rioting. It makes it scarier, makes it more likely for them to get arrested, less child friendly. You know, people who come into London from regions of the UK to protest and need to get a bus back with their friends don't want to be penned in by police who are lumping together legitimate and criminal demonstrators um, and then left in a scary city at night. You know, it's a reason a lot of people said that they stopped protesting. In the bigger picture, though, like the suffragettes did, we wouldn't have the vote if it wasn't for the suffragettes you know, crossing that line into criminality. Uh, is there ever, in your opinion, a time when the population has a right to push back in a way that's beyond noisy and annoying? Yeah, no, I definitely am not saying that no one's ever had legitimate cause to employ violence against the state. And also, you know, some people protesting have visceral, intense trauma about the issue and act emotively in these situations. And that is also not what I'm commenting on. I'm talking about opportunistic writers and we need to not pretend that they don't exist. You know, people who see protest as an opportunity to be a bit wild and free, anarchic, you know, especially privileged people who don't have that trauma. And they might think, you know, they're just getting a bit carried away or it's just one night of fun. But what I'm really realising 
um, from my research is that they do as much to undermine democratic demonstrations as do you know, authoritarians, because authoritarian policy is legitimized by that. And, you know, it's just, I didn't realize how hard line I felt about it until doing this research, because it's just undeniable. It is a problem. You know, if you want to smash things, go mosh pit at a DMB rave. Protests are not the place. It's been used historically to legitimize, you know, the 1986 Public Order Act is being used today. It's funny, actually, spoke to um, a group of Romanian Brits who said, how is the conversation that you Brits are having about law and disorder? When this bill comes in, the first thing we think of is uh, the Soviet authoritarian policy we grew up under. But Westerners take their democratic liberties so much for granted. It's very easy for the conversation to become completely derailed when you have people you know, um, sabotaging protest in this way. Femi, you talked about this on your video. Yeah, so uh, the link between violence and protest, it's because, I mean, first of all, we got the fact that the government has officially listed the violence at the Black Lives Matter protest as one of the reasons behind this bill. And we saw the violence that erupted in Bristol in response to this bill because people were saying how could you do this? And therefore, there will be some people that were legitimately angry about the bill, and there'll be some people that just like to set fire to things. Um, and I was very, very adamant that it was really important that those of us who care about peaceful protest don't uh, act violently, precisely because that will then be used as further justification for the next draconian measure which suppresses the rights of free speech and basic uh, liberal values. So... What did you find out about how people think in terms of is violence the answer to suppression in this sort of legal bill sort of way? Do you reckon this bill will escalate violence or de-escalate violence? So a lot of people who I spoke to really kind of confirmed what you guys have said, that this bill is likely to increase volatility between protesters and police because what it makes criminal isn't the type of protesting a lot of people around the country have been complaining to me about. It makes criminal protests that puts a person at risk of serious annoyance or noise generated has a relevant impact on the vicinity. So I think when we read that terminology, we've got a question, who does that really benefit? Does that benefit the shopkeeper who's worried their store's gonna be looted? Or does it benefit a government who does not want the bad press of effective, impactful, noisy, annoying protests? Because, you know, protest is inherently making very visible the shortcomings of the government. And I have also heard, you know, from a lot of the people I spoke to that this will scare them off protesting. So this is the worrying thing. You know, people who've protested their whole lives because a lot of the older generation are quite scared that this will entail more violence or parents who would take their kids protesting are worried, teachers who can't get arrested. And on a side note, actually, the older generation said if this drives protest online to petitions where we have to give over our email address and postal address, we would never do that because we don't want to be identified on a list of names of people who are dissenting. Um, so there's also that fear about identity. 
And I totally do get that. And I think if you're an older generation, you know, I know people who would never put their, they don't put their credit card details and they're just scared of that kind of stuff. And I understand why. Because if the next government is more right wing and the one after that's proper fascists who, you know, where they come around and knock on the door and drag you out and you don't know why. And, you know, there's plenty of countries in the world where that happens. Yeah. And these people have grown up at a time. Yeah. These people have, you know, been alive at a time where fascism is that very real risk. Like the Romanians, they just don't take it for granted. So, you know, when Ollie was saying to me, like, if you go and play the trombone, I can't play the trombone, so the the government is safe (laughs) at the moment, but I'm learning. I'm going to learn after he's he's told me that trick. Uh, But at the moment, of course, if I went down, you know, I'm a privileged middle-class white woman, I'm unlikely to be arrested. But, you know, I've got a friend in Turkey where the, you know, it went from democracy into basically a, a police state where people were taken away and arrested. And they know who the agitators are. And so I actually don't feel that safe because I sort of think, well, I constantly do shit like this. So, of course, it, you know, you don't want people like that. I don't actually feel that safe from it. I mean, now, yes, he's absolutely right. But if you've made yourself public, so exactly what those people are saying, why put your name down on a list? Whereas if you go down and you're part of a crowd, you're making your voice heard, but nobody knows where you live. The police can't follow everybody home. So I totally get that. Is there anything else, Tilda, that you felt we should know about from this research that you've done? Yeah, well, I would just say one thing, which is I did speak to a few police officers. And um, again, they said this conversation about disorder, what it makes police think their place in this conversation is, is that this is a state of emergency and their their duty, their social responsibility is the thing they have to be listening to. But actually, a lot of them have serious grievances. They're, they're public sector workers, you know. It's not the easiest job in the world. And they share grievances with people as well. But when the conversation we're having is alarmist and focused on the criminals who are not actually going to be penalised by this bill, it also makes police think that they are the last line of defence here. And it encourages the separation between the police and the people. And that's a separation that existed before 2009 when Ian Tomlinson's death led to reform within the police. That was a mentality that separated the police from the people that we recently have overcome and they see the progression as being a better affiliation, better communication, and this undermines that. So I would just also say that I'm a bit scared of the real us and them narrative between people and police this is creating. And if you look at police Twitter, it's divided. You know, there are police who are really worried about this. And then there are police who are feeling targeted and becoming radicalized and speaking about the mob as if it is an existential threat to them. So I think that is a danger we need to watch out for as well. I kind of, you know, obviously, as a privileged white person, it's not really for me to say how people should feel about the police. But the inside story that I've heard is the police do not want these. They're like, oh, God, then the Home Office is going to be coming down on us saying, go out there and stop that protest. And then that's a horrible job. And especially uh, some of the police officers might well at various protests be like, I'm on their side. Femi, what do you think about this? You're more entitled to talk about the police than we are. 
Well, so um, as you said, you don't have a trombone. I do actually have a tuba downstairs, so I am definitely more at risk, not just because I'm black, but also because I have access to brass instruments. Um, but, um, <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, the, the issue around police wanting this or not, or not wanting this I, is because Pretty Patel has also said she's going to be introducing um, targets and a, a, like a league table of police, which means they're going to be pushing police to pursue targets rather than actual criminality. Um, so when you when you start when you put this particular crime on the on the statute book, you then make put pressure on police to pursue something that they don't actually necessarily agree with. That's definitely very very scary. Um, well, like a league table, like for schools. Well, like that how many sort people thing. did you arrest? No, that sort of thing. Um, Stop it. it! It it was it was on the news recently. <laughs> oh my god! What? So well, then they're incentivized if they want to go up the league table to arrest people for petty things because it looks like they're doing more and they can show they're working. So they go, oh, I, I I just rounded up all these protesters who were I I thought they were being noisy and annoying. That's appalling. You know, the other place they have that is Calais, where they deploy riot police to take on displaced refugees. So that gives you a sense of the kind of mentality that is being induced oh between the people of pol- police and the people here by that kind That's of strategy. Genuinely terrifying. I don't want our police to become like the CRS in France because they, they are brutal and that's really, really horrible. And again, this is not to diminish anyone's experience of the police. I mean, I'm sure many people in this country have had experience of the police that they would definitely describe as brutal. But we do not want that to get worse. We want that to get. We're fighting for that to get better, not worse. So, Tilda, you're making this series of creating this series of videos for us. We need to reach across the political divide on this. And for everybody who's watching this. As you can see, we need you. We need you making noise about this. We need you using the hashtag noisy and annoying. Uh, we need you sharing the videos. We need you making your own videos about our history of being noisy and annoying and why we reserve the right as British people to be noisy and annoying. But you need to, I, I think our audience needs to start reaching across the divide because a lot of our liberal bubble aren't going to vote conservative anyway. So the conservative MPs go, well, you weren't going to vote for us anyway. But if the Countryside Alliance stood up and said, well, we want to march through. Now, I don't align myself with the Countryside Alliance. I don't want people to kill foxes in more creative ways wearing flashier jackets. That's not my bag at all. Um, However, on this one, we need to reserve the right for people to protest about whatever they want in a way. Is that right? Do I feel bad saying that? Because I feel like obviously if they want to protest against, uh, you know, other people's human rights or to dehumanise, I don't want that. And I probably should say then I don't want that against animals either. I, I, I'm conflicted about this, but we do need to reach across the divide. If you've got an uncle that voted leave and you voted remain, well, leavers did protest too. Matilda, how are you going to approach this? Well, no, definitely. I understand why you think it's a tricky area, but I think it is so important. And I have already got the Countryside Alliance on board for this video series, along with some other brilliantly um, colourful causes. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the danger of not doing that right is the discussion about law and order and looting and opportunistic violence becomes falsely a conversation 
where the left carries the burden, right? It becomes as though those are features of the opposition movements, but they're not. That issue exists across the political spectrum. You know, you have far right, far left, wherever you always have people who are going to do that, who are going to cause the issues people think this bill is tackling. It's not a political issue. It's not a left or right issue. It's a civilian issue. And um, we need to stand together in this because we, despite everything we have that divides us, we have a lot that unifies us just to give credit where credit's due, you know, Joe Cox. So, um, yeah, so I think it is really, really important that we don't see this as an issue for the opposition, because we all might be in opposition one day. Yeah, and I feel slightly more cynically, I just need this to get done. So I would happily reach across the divide. I don't know, Femi, if I'm going to reach as far across as Lawrence Fox, I'll be honest. I, 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 so I would not want him in any of the videos, but I do reckon it would be good to embarrass. If, 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 if I embarrass him in terms of, oh, hang on, you're being a hypocrite about the values you claim to stand for on Twitter. That's a very good way of making the point because mm-hmm. the entire right wing movement towards free speech should mean they're entirely on our side about this. Mm-hmm. And if they, there was any sort of credibility in what, in what they're pushing for. So I think there is a lot of scope to say, if you care about your libertarian free speech, you should not want a government that literally mm. silences us. Mm. Yeah, Femi, I want you to ideologically pressure Lawrence Fox and all his crew <laughs> to retweet all of these videos yep. and get it trending. <laughs> oh my God. I can't believe I'm... It'll be so this? fun to watch. Has it come to this that I want Lawrence Fox retweeting guilty feminist videos? I... <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, Pretty Patel's got a lot to answer for, but this might be the worst thing she's ever done. Is get Life me. is a roller coaster. <laughs> I don't want I don't want that, but I have to. I have to I'm 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 a pragmatist. I don't want this I, I, I I'm too scared. I, I just don't want to live in a police state, so I need to reserve the right to be noisy and annoying. Whatever it takes. For feminism. For feminism, for intersectional feminism, for for people who have a much more marginalised and oppressed uh, experience than I do, we need to do it. So everybody out there, if you are living with someone, if you have someone in your family, if you've got friends who you have these debates with, tell them you don't necessarily agree with what they say, but you agree with their right to say it and you agree with their right, as long as they're not undermining anyone else's humanity, you agree with their right to say it. And therefore, they also need to get involved with the noisy and annoying campaign. Tilda, you made another video. Could you introduce uh, the second video that you made and tell us about the background? So the woman that you're about to hear from, well, the woman you're about to hear from is the actress Juliette Stevenson. But the words uh, were from a woman who I interviewed as part of my research, who just had 80 years of incredible first-hand protest memories, plus memories from her father-in-law dating back to the 1930s. And just to paint a picture, this woman graduated Liverpool College of Art in the same class as John Lennon. So she says, if you get to live that long without getting assassinated, you hope someone's going to come along and ask for your memories, because she does have fantastic and really honest memories that we've decided to let speak for themselves in this video. And that's what you're about to watch. 
my father-in-law, a completely king and country man, became biased against the police after the Jarrow March in 1936, when unemployed workers marched all the way from the northeast to ask Parliament for help. He was a real Cockney man, my father-in-law. He said the police were totally against the marchers, harassing the men as they walked to London. His word is the only proof I've got, but it's all I need because my father-in-law was a proper, loyal and obedient sort of man. You know, I was surprised at his vehemence. In 1959, or was it 1960, a friend and I were in the crowds welcoming the Aldermaston marchers into London. We cheated and we joined the march at Turnham Green. <laughs> The police acted as mere marshals, walking alongside the participants. There was no violence. Perhaps the police respected the different class of the protesters, a frightfully proper bunch. I got involved in the cause myself after that, joining various CND demos in the 60s. That stands for the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. We started off protesting in Trafalgar Square, but after a year or two, we were shunted off to... Hyde Park. They said it was to save the traffic flow in central London, but it, it made us almost invisible. You know, various politicians bored us with their long, pointless speeches. We all lay down on the actual ground to mimic a nuclear attack. But of course, nobody saw us except the authorities in their whirling helicopters. I didn't see any violence at all until the police appeared. I saw a white-haired woman being dragged off along the grass and she was shouting, I don't know why, I haven't done anything wrong. I, I don't know, I think the authorities were trying to keep ordinary passers-by from joining in the protest by picking out the odd one here and there and, and aggressing them rather than the you know, fully-fledged, full-time hippies in the middle. <laughs> I remember marching along Whitehall past the Cenotaph and we were steady and quiet, you know, maybe the odd slow drum beat. All down the side roads were police in vans and police on horseback, all on alert. I was with another poet and we were, we were frightened. And the 80s, oh, I fell in love with this ramshackle bookshop in Norwich that was run by a bunch of feminists. It was when feminism was a full-time job. The place attracted such eclectic types, you know, punks smoking weed and spilling their tobacco in the cracks of the books. The feminists nominated me to ask them to stop with the cannabis so as not to attract the police. They were ever so polite and apologetic, these young lads, with their incredible mohawks. They didn't want to cause any trouble. The feminists went on all sorts of demos. They even went to Brussels to protest one time. They were always doing something for the good of women everywhere. Women who had families and, and couldn't take the time. Some of whom probably scoffed at them. Yeah, it, it's funny, isn't it, how nostalgia colours our memory. We remember the suffragettes as nice ladies in long skirts and knitted cardigans and sashes and the like. But 
They set post boxes on fire. They broke windows. They were not seen as nice ladies at the time. It just so happened they were on the right side of history, so we remember them as its heroines. Truth is, justice takes a little villainy at times. The people who don't support protest at all, I always wonder what they want. How did they think we got a fortnight's holiday? That had to be legislated for once upon a time. How did they think they got to pocket their wages? For the third and final poll tax march, I was on the island in Trafalgar Square next to one of the lions. It was full of photographers all along the pavement. In front of us was a three-deep line of police. There were snipers standing on the roofs along Northumberland Avenue and the Strand. When the class war contingent came along, I could feel the police bristle, you know, like, like a dog before an attack. It was a really animal reaction. They felt threatened. The poll tax riots had previously gotten out of hand with property set on fire and you know, the police had an awkward duty here. Greenham Common, embrace the base day, Sunday the 9th of December 1981. As this was an internationally publicised day, we were joined by women all the way from Iceland. The police still arrived to keep order. <clears throat> Nothing much happened on the first day, it was for ordinary women from all walks of life, but the next day was different. Some women tried to breach the fences with bolt cutters. There were daily arrests and cases heard in Newbury and women sent on to Holloway Prison. In my experiences, of all the demos, feels strangely obvious, really. Demonstrators do not fight each other. They actually get on very well. Where do you come from? Type of conversations, you know, compliments on banner designs and complaints of hurting feet. And then there's a number of people who piggyback on protests, people who just want to riot. But they have no one to fight till the police turn up. And so the demo splits into two ingredients. Ordinary people with principles, ideals, standards, objections, sometimes with their children too. And the recreational rioters, as I like to call them, looking for drama and destruction and photo opportunities. The ordinaries disappear in the evening and the tone of the whole thing changes. Shop windows get shattered, looting kicks off, everything goes up in flames. Especially plastic rubbish bins. That makes a great photo, all that burning plastic. It's still such a thing, you know, rioters and their burning bins. Personally, I think it's a bit passe. Perhaps I should have gone into the plastic bin business. The thing is, recreational rioters have always broken the law. So I don't think this bill will stop them. But it will stop ordinary folk. The tired couples pushing prams as they march for the good of their kids. The labourers shuffling on scuffed shoes in the name of a social good. The elders marching alongside the young for a better world they won't be there to see. It will drive their opinions indoors. Thank you very much. That was, it's very moving, isn't it, Femi? That video. I, I just, wow. I'm a little bit speechless. So the two bits I want to pick out were 
justice sometimes takes a little villainy. Could not agree with that more. Um, the other bit was the phrase back when feminism was a full-time job. And that really does uh, apply to, to th- this bill because she was referring to a time when, when women didn't have the vote, equal pay, or any of the rights that have been achieved since. And it just makes the point that the greater the scale of the injustice, the more annoying, the more urgent it becomes to be annoying. So the idea that you criminalize the act of being annoying and really making a large platform and making some noise, making some bustle, you're just basically crushing the very things we need to, we need in order to make the country better, make the world better. Uh, I, um, that woman is likely speechless. I know. It's, it's so moving. Like the fact that her dad, or was it her granddad? Was it her dad or her granddad with the Jarrow marches and stuff? And you just go, in that one woman who's, you know, now in her 80s, the memories that she's got from her childhood and, and probably generations back before her childhood as well, it does make you realise everything that we hold dear, someone had to fight for. Like the concept I was reading, I've been reading a lot about protests for this and the concept of the weekend, people protested, people came out and said, we don't want to work six and a half days a week anymore. We don't want only church morning off. Well, you know, there are people in this country who would say, oh, look at those protesters down there causing trouble. They're never happy. But what are they doing it on? They're doing it on uh, the weekend. That's when they're criticizing. And we just take so much for granted. The fact that I can get a credit card without my father or husband signing it off. Do you know why I can do that? Because women stood in the street shouting and pushing and being annoying and being noisy. Everything we hold dear, somebody else fought for it. And we now need to imagine the future that we want the next generation to live in. And we need to fight for that because I'm damn sure women before me fought for everything I've got, everything I've got. And you can see from that video that it is the little guy, the ordinary person, the people without power who need that right more than anybody else. Because the people with power, they don't need to protest. They will buy their way to what they need. They will pass the laws, pay the politicians. Well, certainly certainly these days, they can just pay the politicians. Um, and it is just crushing ordinary working people, which makes it so ironic that they, that they claim to be the people's parliament. They use, they, they, they're populist and claim to speak on behalf of the people, but they are crushing ordinary people. It's very moving. And I just want to say, none of us are saying there's no time for pushback that goes beyond being noisy and annoying. What Femi expresses brilliantly in his video, if you haven't seen it, go to your Twitter handle, Femi underscore sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go and watch the video. If you haven't got it pinned, Femi, pin that video because it's really, really good. And what you argue in that is brilliant, which is... It's not like if women hadn't blown stuff up and gone to prison, I wouldn't have the vote. There's no question about that. So it's not that there's no time, but now is not the right time for anything that's going to look on Twitter to people who aren't necessarily politicised, like, oh, it's a bit scary, oh, protests are rioters, protests are violent, protests set fire to things. This isn't the time because we need to be demonstrating that peaceful protests must not be shut down. And the public really swayed our way after the vigil because they saw women at a vigil being slammed to the ground. And it went the other way in Bristol when things were set fire to. That is not to say that people in this country 
aren't so emotive about some things that they want to set fire to stuff. And I understand it. And it was very important that the Colston statue came down. So this is not us going, oh, just be polite and sweet and don't push anyone, don't touch anything and don't set fire to it. We're not saying that. We're saying right now, between now and when this bill goes through, refrain from setting fire to things because we need this amendment so desperately. We're not saying there's no time to blow anything up. We're saying, please don't blow up anything for the foreseeable. The point is that the government is playing a PR game. We need to figure out what's the thing that's going to make them feel like they can't afford to pass this bill. Now, if they've managed to manipulate the narrative around this bill to say, look at all these violent protests, look at all these people setting fire to police vans, look at all these people assaulting police officers, you care about police officers, you care about our emergency workers, therefore you must support this bill. That's what's going to make people think, okay, well, maybe I should support this bill. However... If they see if they see people protesting peacefully, yet the police still cracking down on our basic human rights, that will be a massive warning sign to everybody in the public that this government is dangerous. Now, yes, there may come a point when this government does input this bill and they do start arresting and being violent to people who are just expressing themselves loudly. That time, I'm not going to have any judgment on anybody who uses self-defense against a police state. However, right now, if we want to win this battle, it does require being peaceful. Because the more peaceful we are right now, the more powerful we are right now. Femi, you've expressed that absolutely brilliantly. Can we ask the people watching, if any of you have any experience organising protests, uh, could you get in touch at guiltyfeminist.gmail.com? I don't know how to organise a protest, but we're going to have to figure it out. So ideally experienced people, because it has to go right. If our protest goes wrong, we're going to be really doing more harm than good. We need anybody who has connections to either uh, famous, influential people, people in the House of Lords, MPs that might be useful. Um, if you want to get involved with Noisy and Annoying, please email us at guiltyfemist.gmail.com and say what it is that you think you can do. We've got a bigger team now. I've never, I've not been very good in the past at always getting back to everyone. I've always feel terrible about it, but I was often operating on my own, but we've got a bigger team now and we do need to mobilise and this is a limited period of time. So if you know anyone, if you've got anything, get in touch. Uh, if you can help, if you can organise, get in touch and we'll get a gang together, a team together and we'll, we'll take this on. And this is for everybody across the UK. I want to hear from people in Belfast, Aberdeen, Dundee, Perth, um, Swansea, Durham, Sunderland. I want everybody from around the UK involved in this because we need to show that this affects everybody from every walk of life. Absolutely. I think the bill, does the bill affect England and Wales? Uh, but it, of, of course, it will bleed into the rest of the UK. Is that right? It affects England and Wales, but it, once they pass this, it will start to affect the way they cover the entire the entire thing. This is just the first step. We, okay. we want to show that this bill is opposed by everybody in the country. Okay, thank you very much, Femi. And we hope other people are working on amending other parts of the bill. We're a small campaign. This is what we're doing because we think if we can protect the right to protest, we, we will, going forward, be able to protest other things. Uh, but please, if you've got another part of the bill or, or you, wanna, you want us to you know, retweet your kill the bill stuff, we're very happy to do that too. Um, so thank you so much. Uh, please get involved. Hashtag noisy and annoying. Uh, look out for our videos and uh, make your own videos. Uh, this will all be rolling out soon, but we're going to need all hands on deck and we're going to need this to be across party lines. God help us. Um, Femi, uh, is there anything you came to say before I bring on our final act that you didn't get to say? Um, I just want to say that the, the way this government is going is the it's the end of freedom. All the rights that we need to protect are on the line with this bill because it is 
we have a government that has shown such disdain for the very idea of political opposition that if we don't stop this, we won't even be able to open our mouths to stop the next thing. And we have not completed equality yet. We have not got to the country we need. There are so many issues that need to be fixed, be it on gender equality, racial equality, trans rights, environment, climate change. Those things need to be fixed. And we need to be able to be noisy, annoying about those things without being in danger of being arrested for simply raising our voice. So my statement is, speak now or forever fear police. Finally, to sing us out, it's the incredible Grace Petrie. When you have a protest, you need a protest singer. Grace Petrie, where are you? Am I here? Am I here? Hey! Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, we're, 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 look, we're depressed by this government, Grace, but we also are motivated, more motivated than we've ever been to try and fight this. I was about to say, I hope you're not relying on me to cheer you up with the song, because that's not really my speciality. That's not what the protest folk singer really does, is happy songs. Yes, uh, it's, it's a protest. We need a protest singer. Uh, you may not be here to cheer us up, but you are here to rouse us. Yeah, so I thought those videos were absolutely amazing, and I think that, you know, just to, again, echo the point, like this is something that we have to... Um, speak to people that we're not necessarily naturally aligned with about. Uh, and it was really beautiful to, to see some stuff about the Jarry Marches. This is a song um, that I actually wrote uh, a, a few years ago um, when I was asked to write a song um, commemorating the 75th anniversary of the Spanish Civil War and also the Battle of Cable Street. Um, and uh, it's, it, it's sort of an anti-fascist song, but I kind of associate it with, with protest in general because... You know, for my friends and the folks that come to my gigs, it sort of became a song that was like a general catch-all song about what we're all trying to do, right? And I think we're all, what we're all broadly trying to do is we're trying to make the world better for our children than the world we inherited. And I think as long as we're trying to do that, you know, we're, we're going in the right direction. So um, this is a song ab about that. Uh, and because I wrote it about the Spanish Civil War, it is called They Shall Not Pass which of course is the translation of No Pass Around, the rallying call of the International Brigaders. Um, so it goes like this. You're not my brother nor my countryman, not my sister or my friend. You're my comrade, be so till the last. They shall not pass, they shall not pass. Our blood is running through the streets of Spain Our London grits in fear Oh, smell of gunfire, sound of breaking glass You shall not pass, you shall not pass Why fight the good fight, fight the good fight Why not let them burn I dread the day when the suffering of my fellow is A way that we might save tomorrow. Yes, it's late in the day, but we might save tomorrow if we try. I will not turn against my brother for his creed or for his colour, nor the one he takes his lover or his class. You that beckon me that way shall not pass. 
Don't take this the wrong way because I'm not saying you're noisy and annoying. But, <laughs> many have um, said many have said it, including the Telegraph Folk Review critics. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, then you're ideally situated to help mm. us with this campaign. Would you write us if we paid you a rousing song, uh, a noisy and annoying anthem, if you will, that we can sing at protests and that we can play with our videos and that kind of thing? You can pay me if you want to, but I'm sure I'll do it either way. That tends to be what I can't stop myself from doing, is writing noise and annoying I mean, songs about the actions I mean, of the Conservative government. And I have, I have to tell you, I've been doing that since they took office, and it hasn't failed them yet, but I live in hope. So maybe this will be the one song that does it, you know? This might be the song that they go, oh, no, we, we weren't seeing it. It's like... Uh, we yeah. Thought- I mean, they're obviously aware of you, Grace. They know. They know. <laughs> she's there. She's she's this thorn in our side, Grace Petrie, with her songs. Yeah. But yeah, they're not. Si- they won't expect it. If it hasn't worked yet, they won't expect this one to be the one that brings them tumbling down. Uh, but I think it would be helpful if we had a rousing song. Do people in the chat think it would be helpful if we had a rousing, noisy and annoying song? I just got a text from a friend saying Grace Petrie is everything. Oh. <laughs> uh, Grace, we'd love that. And as I said, anyone else who's got anything to contribute to the campaign... 
get in touch and uh, we'll try and get like a WhatsApp group going with people uh, doing different things on different places. If you're around the country, that's ideal for us. We don't want everything to be London centric. And I just want to say a huge, huge thank you to the incredible Femi Alawale. Wonderful Oliver Fearley Sprague from Amnesty International. Join Amnesty UK. Woo! Fantastic Matilda Mallinson and the words of PJ there. Juliet Stevenson, who is, is one of the founders of this campaign but can't be here because she's filming but made that brilliant film with us. Um, thank you so much, Juliet Stevenson. And Grace Petrie and Frank the Dog. Um, We've been noisy and annoying. Thank you so much for joining us for this Guilty Feminist emergency episode. Please join with us to fight this thing. I've been Deborah Francis-White. You've been wonderful as always. Thank you so much. Good night. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Femi Olawale, and our very special guests, Oliver Feely Sprague and Matilda Mallinson, featuring Juliet Stevenson and music from Grace Petrie. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Selinsky for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Bjorn and everyone at UTA, Garrett and everyone at Moment House, Gina DCO and everyone who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. Please rate, review and subscribe. It helps people find the podcast. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. If you would like to get involved in helping us to coordinate this campaign, please send us an email to guiltyfeminist at gmail.com. And if you want to donate so we can make this campaign really go, organize a protest, do everything we need to do, could you go to justgiving.com slash crowdfunding slash noisy and annoying. That's justgiving.com slash crowdfunding slash noisy and annoying. Or you can find a link on our website, guiltyfeminist.com. Um, as always, I'm joined by my dog, who is uh, oh. making the whole thing about him. So, um, but yeah, I've got it, noisy I've got and annoying. This one certainly fucking can. I'll tell you that. Yeah, oh. it very much is raison d'être. Um, so, do you want me to just uh, kick off? Do you want me to head into it? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com